What up, homies? I like. I don't even know what that means. Look at Dan no, with the don't. glasses around. I should do that too if I could find him. I, I, I'll I'll do a similar situation. Market call, one p.m. Eastern time. Dan, thirty minutes on the clock. It's just the two of us on just this fine. T- today is Wednesday, right? Which yeah, is Wednesday. crazy. I mean, I'm Jack like twenty-one dick- guy. That goes 21. like this: December twenty-first. Today's episode of Market Call is brought to you by FactSet, not only our sponsor but our data provider. Dan, of course, financial data and analytics that are powered by tomorrow. As I like to say, I'm powered by a few things. You know, our friendship, <laughs> our community, yeah. uh, the great people we have working with us. Uh, but most of all, the fact that after a six-year hiatus, uh, my New York Football Giants might actually eke their way into the playoffs so that's exciting yeah well you, you guys had that double doink remember all the all the years back there um, double doink again, yeah. the double the double doink hey just so you know i mean that was a nice little segue our friend doug cass you know he writes for real money seabreeze partners he just hit me up here and and i love i love doug because i think you guys share a brain on many things you're also powered by your hatred for the new york mets Doug yes. writes, Doug writes, for discussion at 1 p.m., every member of the Mets projected infield has at least two all-star appearances. Mm-hmm. Their number one and number two starting pitchers should be unanimous selections for the Hall of Fame. Agreed. The Mets closer struck out 50% of the batters he faced last season. Guy, discuss, discuss. Well, I mean, clearly Steve Cohen is putting together what he believes is a team that will not only compete for one World Series, but for multiple yeah. World Series. And I see that. I mean, Verlander is, you know, going to turn 40. Max Scherzer's moving up there in age, but they probably combined have a few years left for them. But my concern is some of these contracts. I mean, Lindor is signed for the next 10 years, I think. And now Correa is signed for the next 12 or 13 years. And these guys might look great for the next two, but those contracts are going to be a bit of an albatross as albatross. we move our way through. You like that? True, so I'm true not that. a huge and, Pete Alonso guy. I think he plays yeah. first base like he's picking up uh, hand grenades. I've never been a McNeil guy. You know, he bats for average, but I just don't really. All right, listen. You've never been a Mets me. guy. I, no, I, got, I, I hate got the Mets. I'll up. say this. Before, before you shut yeah. me down, and this is yeah. true because we have the market to talk about, and I'm just do. putting this out here for you, Dan, quickly. So yeah. if the Mets and the Red Sox were scheduled for some, you know, the bullshit June interleague series at Shea, and those two games get rained out, let's just play it out. And in order to make up those games, they can only find time in late September. Okay, bear with me here. If the Yankees needed the Mets to beat the Red Sox in both games, you know who I'd be rooting for? Who that? The Red Sox. The Red Sox. I know. There is right. no, I know. There is no. There. There's no situation I, that yeah. I can see. The Mets could play the Chinese national team, and yeah. I'd be rooting for the Chinese national team. Back I, to you. I got you. I got you, Doug. All right. Thank you, Doug, for that. Sorry. I mean, you you, because, you went down because, that primrose. Can I tell you something? Doug Doug goes by Dougie, and and and, and people affectionately call. And Stevie goes by Stevie. Obviously, Stevie yes, does. We so work with the guy. We got, we by the way, Matrix on. of Compassion says, "Guy, did you ever see Tom Seaver pitch?" I did. As a matter of fact, uh, for those in the know, Tom Seaver won his 300th game in the major leagues, I believe, as a member of the Chicago White Sox against. 
the New yeah. York Yankees on a July Sunday afternoon, if memory serves. Back to you. All right. So, so, so El Chen asks if you ever saw Babe Ruth play live. All yeah, right. Moving on. Fun. Okay. That's Wise funny, ass. But, Where is that right. person? I like that. All right. Take it. So take, take it easy, El Chen. <laughs> you know, guy is feeling a little, he just turned 59 here. All right. Yeah, let's exactly. talk about this market. Guy, what do we got going on here? Is this a bit of a dead cat? Market's bounce? partying I mean, here. It's, well, no, so I don't. I don't like, it doesn't feel great. It doesn't feel like this sort of like inspired rally. You want to just kind of get like, just say, we're going to rip this thing. Other than if it wasn't like one week left in the year, I guess. Yeah, I think I think that's clearly part of it. I'll tell you what concerns me. We're going to talk about this as well. The fact that the VIX is approaching 20 again, yeah. not a 20, you know, $20, which is, I think, yeah. a little concerning. I think we have an expiration. I mean, a lot of factors at work here. I don't know what the market's gotten themselves all excited about. Clearly, the Nike report, which we'll talk about, the FedEx report, I think has assuaged some of the short-term concerns people had. But I don't necessarily think there's a big tell on the consumer on the back of those two. I think they're stock-specific. But look, the market's rallying here, and the VIX is pushing down towards 20. I happen to think it's a bit of a warning sign, but we'll see. I mean, that's what makes markets, as I like to say, Dan. Yeah, no, it's interesting. You know, again, I, I called it uninspired. And listen, I, I think the higher they go in a year end, the better the setup. I, I don't have a single short on. I don't, you know what I mean? Like, as far as I'm concerned, I'm going to let some stocks that I own, you know, kind of rally um, a little bit. These are stocks that I, I don't own as a trade. They're just kind of investments here. And so I'm kind of like many market participants, kind of cleaned up for year end. I'm getting on a plane tomorrow morning. I'm going to see my in-laws and there the you big are as they call it you know dallas it's got the soft machine you know what the soft machine is guy the soft machine wasn't yeah, that in, like a in, in the in the in the song, truck song? In dallas got the soft machine houston to close it, it's a uh, margarita Beautiful dead song i know it, what it, it is but it's a margarita it's a it's a margarita machine um let's look at uh speaking of spicy you probably like a spicy margarita this ndx chart Okay, the one year um, we've been drawing the lines, you know, we got it. It never got that 200 day moving average. It, it really got rejected last week or a week and a half ago at that downtrend. But look at this, you know, that breakdown level, we bounced off of it, that uptrend that's been in place since October. So could we see a nice little three to five percent move in, in the NASDAQ 100? Of course we could. I mean, and again, thinking about like kind of low volume this time of year. I mean, why not? Right. I mean, th this one is the one I guess I'd probably be most focused on if I was looking to play for a bounce. Yeah, I agree with that. It's the old Adage, and I don't know if it necessarily holds any water under further analysis, but don't short a dull market. Yeah. And I think, you know, what, what we're going to see over the next week and a half, starting in earnest, I guess, today is exactly that. I mean, people are, listen, the holidays are upon us, right? I mean, we're this is Christmas uh, week, and then next year is New Year's week, and things really ratchet down in a meaningful way. And again, the fact that FedEx wasn't a disaster, I think, has given people some hope. But to your point, I think this pennant's going to continue to get more and more narrow, and I think yeah. it's going to resolve itself to the downside when a name potentially like Apple guides lower again, or you just get disappointing earnings out of some of these companies that have rallied in a pretty meaningful way. I mean, again, we bring up NVIDIA, but just for the sake of bringing up a stock that rallied 70% from the October low, I mean, that stock to me is sort of going to do a back and fill into the 120s. And HSBC, I think, initiated uh, a reduce they call it a reduced position with a $135 price target. So more and more analysts are going to come around to some of the things we've been saying. Yeah. And it does come down to earnings and earnings growth and revenue and revenue growth at a certain point. Matter of fact, you know, this S&P 500 we highlighted yesterday is just well off 
it's October lows relative to the NDX here. So again, might we see a three to 5% rally back towards that downtrend? Um, I think the rotation guy that we've seen into, you know, I guess industrials and some value names over the last couple months here is really kind of bearing out that outperformance, let's say in the SPX versus the NDX here. Probably not much to do or say here, but this one, you know, you just mentioned the volatility index. So the CBOE volatility index, we had December options expire this morning. They expire on Wednesday uh, mornings here. And a lot of people were asking us yesterday, why is the VIX not up more when the market was down? And a lot of it had to do with some of the funkiness um, in and around expiration. We drew that uptrend that's been in place um, over the course of the year. We breached it briefly, okay, late last month or so. And we've been saying that when the VIX is, you know, 20 or below that, it's probably a good time to lighten up on stocks. Mm -hmm. And when the VIX is up there, you know, in the high 20s to about 30 or so, that's been a good time um, to buy stocks. I guess it's really tough, though, between now and let's call it January 2nd or 3rd, when people are back in earnest there's a lot of half days there's a lot of days off and what do options do when they're not trading on a market they erode they, dan yes, they, they erode die. so two cents on the vix here time to time decay and i think that's exactly right and you know we had a great conversation in in the comments section yesterday and one of the viewers answered another viewer's question which i thought was great but i think again it sort of makes sense what's going on in the vix in terms of I think a lot of people position themselves for a downdraft. It's not necessarily coming to fruition and the VIX sort of bleeds away. So you see these big updates in the VIX typically when the unforeseen happens. But for the most part this year, a lot of the stuff that we've seen has been predictable. We've talked about it. There haven't been any events out of the blue. And I will tell you, even Russia, Ukraine uh, was not necessarily out of the blue. So typically you see these big moves higher yeah. when things happen that you don't predict. And I think the fact that it's been somewhat predictable is why the VIX is 20. But that does not give me a whole lot of confidence going forward. To your point, when the VIX does get to be a teenager or, or a 20 handle, it's typically when you should be selling stocks, not buying them. Matter of fact, here's one, though, that has kind of confounded us, our good friend Liz Young, EY, EY. from SoFi, as yeah. you call her. Um, you know, the Russell 2000 small cap stocks, um, you know, again, you know, kind of kind of held really nicely there. Never made a new low guy back there um, in October. Is this a sector if rates are going to stay bid? Right. Let's say the dollar has come off a bit. I mean, a lot of the small cap names are less you know, affected by the strength of the dollar. Obviously, they buy things um, from overseas that go into stuff that they manufacture, um, let's say here. But rates is probably a bigger issue for some of these small cap stocks, you know, as they're probably a lot more levered than many of the large cap um, stocks. Yeah. You know, and is it a tell on the broader? Is, is it a tell on the economy specifically, the fact that they've held it? I don't I don't know how that can be, because, again, if you listen to some of the commentary and then you listen to what the Fed is trying to accomplish, it's not to me small cap favorable. But again, maybe it's just positioning was the wrong way and people are trying to square up. I don't know. I think, look, you know what I think in the broader market, there's a leg lower. So almost by definition, if I think that's going to happen in the broader market, I think the same thing's going to happen in the Russell, whether it's the RTY or the IWM. I think there's a leg lower to the downside because, again, these are the most uh, linked and most levered to the economy. And if the economy starts to slow, these stocks are not going to be spared. 
matter of fact here. Just, you know, again, we've been Got talking. A lot of questions, by the way. This I is know. Let, let's, let's get to a bunch. Let's rip through the 10-year yield. Uh, again, you know, until you and I see it kind of touch that uptrend that's been in place, um, you know, since, uh, I don't know, the lows in March, we probably don't have much to add here. I think you and I would both see, be surprised if we saw this thing above 4% um, anytime soon. Would not be good for high valuation tech stocks. And again, you know, the balance today seems like, okay, we've had like a week of, of just steady losses in in many of these kind of high valuation names it seems like you know they, they were going to go as low as the market was open um this week Th thoughts on that because that that's the one if we did see let's say we started the year and you saw the 10-year back about four percent that would be very bad for like many of these now i think so i you know i absolutely think so it, it i think carter's made this point and we've tried to make it as well if yields move down in a meaningful way it's not necessarily bullish for the economy they're going down for the wrong reasons if Rates go higher in a meaningful way. It's not because the economy is getting better. It's because inflation is probably still a problem, which should not be good for stocks either. So this move has me a little bit puzzled, this move higher in yields. I thought we would continue to sort of do that slow burn to the downside and find our way down to three and a quarter percent. It's not happening. I guess on the good news front is twos tens, the inversion, it, I think, got out to 83 basis points has come in pretty significantly. So maybe that's a silver lining. But I don't know how this resolves itself. 55 Again, bips, guy. Yeah. 55 bips. No, That's know. pretty interesting. Well, you know what it's not good for is housing. David Rosenberg of Rosenberg Research, our friend, um, he tweets out this morning, November makes its 10th straight months of U.S. Mm -hmm. home sales declines, which is unprecedented, taking out the eight-month string of slippage in 07 is quite a feat, and we now... Uh, we know where that landed the economy. Housing is the quintessential leading uh, macro indicator, and the tea leaves aren't good. All that being said, and again, I love Rosie's work. Um, you know, uh, and he's there's few people who can kind of you know put the pieces together of what's going on in housing and rates and uh, in the overall economy is him. You look at this chart of the XHB, and I get it. There's a lot of things in there. It's not a pure play, um, you know, home builder stock. But you see that the lows, right, from October, guy, did not breach the lows from the summer, June and July. It looks like it's trying to make a little bit of a double bottom. It's holding that 50-day. It's contending with that 200-day. Uh, it looks like the XHB wants to party a little bit. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I know you know this, and it's but it's worth repeating. The home builder stocks are different than sort of the like basically the housing sector and i know that's a bit of a disconnect i mean the housing sector is under pressure clearly we see these numbers and what he said if you read this what happened in 07 was a precursor of what happened in 0809 i don't think he's suggesting a similar types of moves but he's right to point it out housing is a bit of a leading indicator but it doesn't mean these housing stocks as counterintuitive yeah. as that might can't do well. I mean, there's still a supply demand imbalance and a lot of these things, the environment still sets up sort of okay for them and they've taken a bit of a haircut. So these levels that we saw and bottomed out at, and we've talked about it in terms of like a DHI yep. or a Pulte Homes, and I've said it on Fast Money, as counterintuitive as it is, this might actually be the time to start buying these stocks. And for the last couple of weeks, they have had a decent bounce. Yeah, I guess you'd know where to stop them if you're looking at mm -hmm. the XHB, you know, um, and, and and I agree with that. When you see data like David's highlighting and what it means for the economy, it, it doesn't mean that the data is going to 
continue to go that way. He's talking about how unprecedented the 10-month decline is. So again, you're seeing pretty decent price action in the stocks. And then on the flip side of the rate discussion, if rates were to come in precipitously, right. this is one of the first groups that might benefit there. And then, you know, your point about separating the builders from some of the names in the space, you know, look at this Home Depot guy. And, and again, we just drew some simple lines on this one. Um, you know, that 340, I mean, wake me up. When it's above 340 is, is, I guess, what I'd say there because it looked like it wanted to get above there in a meaningful way, fill in that gap from, from earlier this year um, back in March. It kind of solidly rejected here. And I guess it also comes down to is like, what do investors rotate into, right? What is going to be the leadership as we come out of this bear market? And again, you and I don't know when it's going to end, but it might be some very rate-sensitive yeah. games as they start to come in. But I'll tell you the good news, and we've brought this up before, and if Carter were here, he would say it, the 50-day moving average has now crossed through the 200-day moving average. And you know the last time that happened was on the downside back in March, and you saw subsequently the next five or six months for the stocks were not particularly good. So you can make an argument that we're on the precipice, at least finding some support here in Home Depot and then maybe starting to see early spring next year, a stock that's meaningfully higher based on this, this one thing. We'll see. Again, it's just worth pointing out. To your point, though, the stock has effectively done nothing now since March. I mean, it's been lower, it's been higher, but here we are at the same price point we saw seven or eight months ago. So not a lot happening at Home Depot, at least for the last you know couple quarters. All right. So you know where a lot is happening right now? And that would be in the Nike stock. It comes out NKE. And I, think, I think our main man, you had a really nice call yesterday. I did not have a whole heck of a lot of conviction. We were looking at it into its print last night. And you know what? Let's just play the tape. Let's go to the tape. We can do that. Yeah, we can. This is interesting. You know, if you, again, I use the word temerity a lot, but if you have the huevos here, I think you can actually buy Nike against this 50-day moving average and look for a move back to that downtrend line. If you're less sure, I think what you're waiting for is a violation of that downtrend line. You know, maybe this thing gets some legs, um, and we'll see. That 8% move probably puts us, you know, pretty close to exactly that, either that downtrend line or a look back to the October low. If you're trying to pick a side, though, might, you might get an upside surprise here, Dan. We'll see. And if I'm wrong, I'll be the first one to talk about it on tomorrow's market. Well, look, look at it. It's tomorrow, this time tomorrow, and we're talking about it. That was a heck of a call. I, I just did not have um, a whole heck of a lot of conviction. And I think it's important to remember is that, you know, last quarter, and you see that gap, right, three months ago, they guided down. So what do they do? They beat lower guidance. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. But talk to me a little bit because it literally is lining up. You know, it's obviously overshot your levels, but you did say that if it gets through, it could continue to keep going here. Thoughts here? Because I, I assume, guy, you wouldn't be chasing it. No. And I'm looking, I'm just, I'm looking now because I'm looking at the volume. So Nike typically trades a little over 9 million shares a day. It's already traded 22 million shares. Obviously, there's another two and a half, three hours left in a day ish, uh, which is probably going to put it around 30 million shares, which is close to, you know, what, three, three and a half times normal volume. And, you know, this little island that's setting up, to me, this is where you're taking money off the table. I mean, I, again, it felt like it was going to hold the 50-day and bounce. I think there were lowered expectations, despite the fact that it's uh, expensive on a valuation basis, probably 28 times or so next year's numbers. You, know, you have that kind of EPS growth to back it up, and I think people were just overly negative. So I would submit, if, you got, if you've been long the stock since you know, the fall, 
this is a place you're taking money off the table, not yeah. adding to it. Again, just my opinion. Yeah, and, and I guess the point there is that we've spent a lot of time talking about the fits and start with China and demand and, and COVID zero over there and what's going on with Europe and supply chain. I mean, the list goes on and on and the potential for the U.S. to be in a recession after you've had the sort of rally a stock like that has had off of lowered expectations i, I want to be i want to be careful about that next quarter and then when i want to broaden it out a little bit and i want to talk about consumer discretionary and we have the xly and you know you've highlighted this guy this is a really tough etf when you think about it amazon is 23 percent mm-hmm. of the weight. tesla is 11 and a half percent home depot 10 percent um you know so there's a few stocks kind of driving the train here that's but, half the etf right there in front of you but so, but, but, but yeah. guy just look at like just look at this i mean they're, they're, these are like solid you know consumer discretionary names i'd say you can make the argument that amazon is not exactly discretionary um but this thing is a train wreck and and you look at where the etf is trading you know below all of those lows that it's made over the course of this last year um that's kind of some heady resistance there you know it would obviously take amazon which just made new 52-week lows yesterday um and tesla just made 52-week lows um today to get going which Again, those stocks could be coiled springs into a light volume sort of year-end rally, and maybe the XLY is one way to play it. I, I guess I'm, I'm just not that kind of bullish as we head into the new year, and I think that some of the guidance that we're going to get for the current quarter Q1 is not going to be particularly great. You know, if you look at this, these we've attempted to breach these levels a few times. It typically doesn't hold the third or fourth time, and here we are now. So. Amazon, we talked to uh, Mark Mahaney yesterday yeah, we did. on your great show, OK Computer, and Amazon is one of his top picks for 23. And I understand that, but it doesn't mean there can't be another leg lower first. And I think that's what we're in the midst of. Tesla, we talk about all the time. This thing is being basically held up by a shoestring by Home Depot and Nike, effectively, is what's going on. But, you know, I do think Nike probably gives it up a little bit here. I'm not bearish in it. I just think yeah. the move is over. And again, Home Depot, we talked about it. It's been a sort of sideways action. So... We'll see how that shakes out. But I am bearish in Amazon in the short term. I am bearish in Tesla. In the short, and we've been that way. So it stands to reason that this is probably going to roll over. And then we can have a conversation about what the right entry point is. I don't think this is it, though, Dan. Yeah, let's look at a couple of consumer discretionary names, one that's actually acted horrible and one that's acted well. Let's start with the Disney. I think Carter told us last week he thought it was a pair of twos yeah. on the chart. Don't buy stocks and downtrends. And if we had backed out that Disney chart over a five-year period, you'd see that the next stop to the downside is that March 2020 COVID low, which is down near 80. I don't disagree with that. This is a horrible chart. And the news is supposed to be good, if you think about over the last month with um, Bob Iger coming back here. Thoughts on this one? Like, would you start dollar cost averaging if you had like a multi-year time frame guy in the mid to high 80s in Disney? Or do you just wait for the next guy down? Because I have to think that Iger, when he gets in front of analysts and investors really for the first time, that there is no incentive to do anything other than just lower or the boom for the full year 2023. I don't think you're going to miss Disney to the upside at this point. The positive catalysts are somewhat behind. And the, the most positive catalyst yeah. is, you know, Iger came back. So that's behind us. To your point, you know, he could kitchen sink the whole thing and sort of do a redo. And if he does that, it probably gets the stock down to a high 70 handle, low 80 handle. And then you can probably look at it in earnest. To your point, though, if your time horizons are three to five years and a couple dollars here or there doesn't necessarily matter, this is as good a point as any to start sort of dipping your toe. And I think it requires you to either be a long-term investor or 
a short-term trader. What I will tell you is, and I believe this, I don't think you can be both at the same time because what typically happens is if you have something for a long-term investment and within a week it's up 8%, your instincts are, holy shit, I can't believe it. And then that investment becomes a trade. And conversely, when you put something on for a trade and it goes against you, you typically say, well, maybe I'll make this an investment. And when you start playing that game, it almost by definition means you're going to lose. All right, Guy, here's one that is acted very well in the consumer discretionary space. And I think we've talked about Starbucks a bunch on Market Call over the last, let's call it, year or so. Because one of the things that was so interesting to me is that Starbucks topped out, Guy, like, like it was a SPAC, like it was an unprofitable tech stock it's high it's all-time high was in july of 2021 that was well before the s&p and the nasdaq topped mm -hmm. out and it had this huge move i think the high was 125 or so guy and it got as low this year as like 69 dollars. here it is it's just around 100 bucks it's had this huge rally um off the lows i think there's very few consumer stocks that have had that sort of behavior when you agree um, during this time period. So wh what's going on with Starbucks? We have a one-year chart of this. It seems a bit like overextended when you think about maybe some of the things that Nike had to say about global sales. Maybe that's a benefit um, to Starbucks, but we still know that they have a lot of headwinds as it relates to supply Look, chain. Been, they're cost. able to pass cost on to the consumer. It's basically what it comes down to. So in a lot of ways, their margins have held up and their earnings yeah. have held up, but it's not a cheap stock number one. And if you look at this chart, it feels as if what it should do is make a run towards that uptrend line. And that, pro again, off a of time decay, that probably puts it like a $91, $92 stock. That, to me, makes sense. And then we'll have a conversation. But stocks had a nice bounce. But it spent a lot of time trading around the 200-day moving average. My sense is that's probably what's going to happen early next year. It spends some time around the 200-day moving average. All right, last one before we get out of here. We kind of hit on it last night on CNBC's Fast Money program. Love that guy. show, 5 o'clock Eastern. Micron, 5 o'clock Eastern, Monday through Friday. You've been on it. Since the very yeah, first crazy. day that it premiered is a full hour show. What, in 2007, was it? Yeah, nuts. I think it was January 8th or 9th was, yeah, crazy. It, Madness. We're it, coming it, up to our 16-year anniversary. You don't insane. say that anymore. If we make it to January, it'll be Well, I do still say it. I mean, you know, at this point, but I'll, mm -hmm. I'll next year I'll say it again. If we make it to January, I'll start saying that and you know. February. Fair enough. If we make All it to right. January. Well, it looks like it, it, unless unless you didn't get the memo, guy. I mean, we're making it to January, okay? Because mm, we're like well, a week away. Weird things um, let's happen. Talk about Mike, let's talk about Micron here, okay? Like in the memory space here, the reports after the close. I always love these stocks that report like in the off cycle, the way Nike did, the way FedEx did. It kind of, you know, I, I think sometimes you can kind of lean in a little too much into to what they're saying and, and extrapolate it to some other names in the space. But again, you know, here's a stock that is had a rough year um it's basically you know trading at some really difficult technical levels just above um 50 bucks if you back that thing out cheap stock decent balance sheet you know i decent valuation the whole nines you know what i mean so talk to me about what you're expecting the implied movement in the options market is about five and a half percent either direction which not a big deal one way or another but i guess if it were to go lower and, and make it below that kind of 50 level there. I mean, from a technical standpoint, it looks like there's an air pocket. You got to go back to late 2020, right, guy? And, and you're looking at maybe something with a four handle. Yeah. There. So, my, as, as you know, 
you don't stocks like this you, you get yourself real trapped if you look at them solely on valuation i'm not suggesting you're doing that but that's always been historically a trap for these highly commoditized names now what's interesting about micron is a few years ago um and time's going by quickly but i'll tell you they announced a huge stock buyback and i said on the show that night i said you know what this signals to me is micron does no longer believe they're a cyclical company and they're no longer a company that can be commoditized. And that seemed to be right for a couple months until it wasn't. And you know what? What winds up happening is history repeats itself. And these do become very cyclical names and highly commoditized names. Obviously, DRAM and NAND, that's their bread and butter. And my sense is pricing continues to be depressed. And there was a lot of, you talk about it all the time, a lot of double ordering going on yeah, and yeah. doesn't augur particularly well. So if you're asking me what you are, I think there's a chance that you see that five and a half percent to the downside and we break this support level. We'll see. Yeah. I, I mean, again, I, I don't think it's the sort of thing like I'd be shocked if you saw, you know, the sort of reaction to a beat. And, and I don't think you're going to get a meaningful raise one way or another. A lot of, you know, the CapEx expectations we've seen have been coming down by like some of the equipment guys and everything like that. So it just seems like we're probably one or two quarters away from getting some, some estimate revisions to the upside here. So maybe one last kind of guide lower. And then you see how the stock acts. What I said last night on Fast Money is like, you know, when you have stocks like this that trade at reasonable valuations that have, you know, probably at some point when the economy gets normalized a little bit, they have huge secular tailwinds, if you think about it, right? And if they guide lower and the stock doesn't get creamed, then it's yeah, telling it's you that- sign. Yeah, you know, that that investors are trying to think about what comes a quarter out. And sooner or later, people are going to really start focusing on what the back half of 2023 looks like. I do get worried, though, guy, that there's this consensus building uh, among bulls and bears on the broad market that the first half of 2023 is going to be really ugly. You know what I mean? And so when everybody starts thinking that, it's just kind of makes me a little bit nervous. But maybe it's the realization that S&P earnings for the next, next year are going to be well below. Below two hundred dollars, most strategists are well above two hundred dollars at the moment. Yeah, no, you know, I, and I'm with you. I understand what you mean. That consensus view, you get scared, but it doesn't mean necessarily that those people are wrong, right? Yeah. I think about the consensus view for a long time was bullish on the market, and that proved to be correct. So, I don't know. I, I don't know how we can get out of an earnings recession. I don't know how earnings expectations can't go i just don't i i think about these things and i'm hard pressed yeah. to see the set of circumstances that all of a sudden magically things get better um that's me i mean maybe i'm wrong to look at it maybe the market will look past it and maybe we do have an earnings recession but people pay up on the multiple side of things and they say you know what maybe we can start paying 19 20 times again for earnings and that holds yeah. us in here i don't know but i happen to think Earnings recession and the multiple gets compressed almost by definition on the back of it. All right. Well, listen, you know, guy, you said we're putting 30 on the clock. It's 130 oh, on the East Coast shit. here. I will. Holy smokes. I will tell you this, though. It, it is fast. fun. You know, Guy and I have this kind of habit of kind of dozing out when other people are talking. We've been on panels, uh, like Guy's been on a panel show for, what, 15 years or something like that. And looking at the chat notes, we do appreciate these comments. I hope you recognize that we do incorporate some of the things that you guys are saying um, into what we're saying. And hopefully we're going to have a program a day a week where we have more time just to take your questions. But you do amuse us, Guy, like 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 a, like a clown. They amuse like us. How clown. do they amuse us? No, listen, yeah. I mean, it's funny because 
we were watching Home Alone uh, over the yeah. weekend. Linda, Linda, me and Lily, boys weren't around. And Joe Pesci, think about how uh, diverse he is in his range. acting shops. The range is amazing. Um, and, range. and you know what? What about what about what about JFK? Dude, you don't get it. It's a mystery wrapped in an enigma in a riddle. Remember, remember his character in JFK, the Oliver Stone movie. He was like insane. He's like the, he's he is literally one of our treasures. I think uh, as you think about actors, I listen. I love Joe Pesci. I mean, I love yeah. all those anything he's in. It's almost a must watch. And I'll tell you, I think Casino doesn't get its just due as a movie. Yeah. Big Sharon Stone fan, James Woods in that movie, Don Rickles. You Obviously, the aforementioned Wood Robert De Niro. Yeah. It's just a, you know, it's all good. Yeah, man. it's a classic. All right, should we should we get out of here tomorrow? You do, you do, the, do you want to do the get out? or You want me to do it? I, mean, I always do it. Memorized. I don't. I don't. All right, so I listen. Just... I want to thank our audience. <laughs> I would thank Carter Worth, but he wasn't with us today. I'll thank him tomorrow because it's going to be CB Dubs and yours truly tomorrow yeah. on a Thursday. EY from SoFi is going back to Wisconsin. God help us all. You're getting on a plane to Texas, as you mentioned yeah. earlier. All my exes yeah. live in Texas. That's why I reside in Tennessee. By the way, that was a song that was playing in the background of Roadhouse during the scene uh, when the, Sam Elliott was dancing with um, what's his, uh, Patrick Swayze's girlfriend. Yeah. I completely digress. I want to thank FactSet, not only our sponsor, but our data provider. And I want to always thank the audience for spending time with us. Dan? Yeah. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next week. I appreciate it.